Okay, this morning we continue in 1 Peter 3. We covered a grand total, I believe, of two verses last week. But we will probably get get more than two because verse um, thir- uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, it was just loaded, so we had to spend a little bit of time there. And we are, the overall grand scheme here is that we are to learn how to live God's way even under persecution. How we're to handle persecution, how we are to treat one another, how God's elect are to behave during troubled times. And Peter will give us more information today. So, we're going to read verses 8 through 17. And we will start actually in verse 10 and probably get through get through 17. So let's have... Do you have, do you have an extra handout? Yes, I do. All right. First uh, Peter 3, verses 8 through 17. Let's have that read. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to live life, to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If he come away from evil and be good, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Okay. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for good, for doing good, (coughs) if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter, opening up, just to get the context, we will go back to verse 8, where Peter tells them to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Um, These things can be hard to do when you're facing hard times, when you're being mistreated. It can be hard for Christians to treat each other this way. And then Clowney points out that those who live like this will be mocked, just as their Lord was mocked. And then we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 40 through 47, and there we saw how the early church, <coughs> right after Pentecost, how they were doing these things. And so... And the unity of mind, now that unity has to be in the doctrine. It has to be in doctrine. And the sympathy and brotherly love 
Sympathy has to be in action. The brotherly love is not just feeling, but it is also action. And then, of course, a tender heart. They can't be callous to each other. And then they're to have a humble mind. All right, and then in verse 9, it says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter instructs them that when they are treated wrongly and reviled, they cannot take revenge. We do not take revenge. We're forbidden from taking revenge. We're not even capable of doing it right because we don't know all the facts. And then finally, we noted that Christians are to bless when mistreated, according to your notes, that God forbids his people from taking revenge. Unbelievers are trying to destroy their only hope of being blessed. <clears throat> they persecute us. They want us out of the way. But they don't realize that we're a source of blessing for them. <clears throat> so that brings us up to today's scripture where Peter said, Peter quotes actually Psalm 34. And it's what he says is whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, in your notes, Christians can get even under persecution. I mean, excuse me, the Christians can even under persecution continue to love life and have good days. So the unbelieving world persecuting us cannot take away our joy, our loving life, our having good days. And it's what he does here is quote Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Um, also in that it says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, Psalm 34 I'm taking this material here from The Flow of Psalms by O. Palmer Robertson, who does an excellent job on organizing the psalms. So he's, he makes a statement that this Psalm 34 and the three following psalms, this group of four psalms, 34 through 37, are psalms pertaining to the innocent sufferer. Now, the first 41 psalms, which is book one, are evil and in uh, confrontation with the good. So the evil meets the good, it's confrontational, and Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 sets the flavor for it. You have, God says, this is the man that's blessed, and then he says the wicked are like this. And then in verse 2 we see the cosmic war so to speak between the evil and the good and the first 41 psalms is evil men persecuting the righteous men and these three psalms are psalms of the innocent sufferer now there's only ever been one innocent sufferer is that right one innocent but comparatively 
is what old Palmer Robertson is saying. These are the people that are on the board side. Even though they're not totally innocent, they all have sin. Nevertheless, these psalms are innocent sufferers being persecuted by the wicked. And if you'll turn to Psalm 30, um, 36. Now remember, he spent four psalms here talking about the wicked persecuting the innocent. And then we have a wonderful promise here that the righteous people, people on, on the Lord's side, would need to keep in mind as they are being persecuted. So let's have Psalm... Did I say 36? It's 37. 35, Psalm 37, verses 35 through 40. I have seen the wicked strong and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was gone, and I saw him, but he could not be found. Mark the upright man, and behold the just, for the end of that man is peace. But their transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous men shall be of the Lord. He shall be their strength in the time of trouble. For the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and shall save them because they trust Him. Those that suffer for righteousness' sake, there are wonderful promises in these verses for them. Verse 40 says, The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. And then in verse 38, he says, The transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Now this may not be in our timing, but in God's good timing, the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be destroyed. So they need to realize that, that this is a quotation of a very meaningful psalm about the wicked persecuting the righteous. All right, now in this, the instructions for these persecuted Christians are, number one, speak no evil. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't bring on more trouble with your mouth. You're already in enough trouble. Don't bring on unnecessary trouble with your mouth. I want to read something from Jay Adams on here. I think he had a good insight on this. This is out of his commentary on 1 Peter. Trust and obey. It says, um, this psalm quoted in verses 10 to 12 tells Christians that when they do good, in other words, they live as God, they live as God pleases and please God by their living. They see good days. The Lord's eyes are on them and he recognizes their rewards and he hears their prayer. In contrast, those Christians who do evil find only a grim frown on his face. When the Lord's face is against them, 
nothing they do prospers. So, um, in summary, Peter tells them, he tells them, don't start or bring about more trouble by your mouth. Get away from all the temptations that you can and instead plunge headlong into the quest for peace with everyone. Don't give up, pursue peace, track it down, and you will find it. A Christian must not be a troublemaker. He is to be a peacemaker. The passage is on submission and all directed toward achieving peace by every honorable means, every honorable means. Thus, the quotation is a fitting conclusion to the questions people has, Peter has been discussing. So, make, so you don't want to unnecessarily bring any more trouble than you have to. Um, you know, you, as we're going to learn here in a few minutes, you stand up for the faith. Uh, he's not telling you not to stand up for the faith. He's going to get around to that. And then you, all right, you speak no evil and you do no evil. You don't bring on more trouble with your deeds, with your unrighteous deeds is what's implied. Do things God's way. Don't take revenge and things of that sort and bring on even more trouble. And then he says, seek and even pursue peace. And of course we pray. They're promised that if they do these things, God will hear their prayer. For the eyes of the Lord are only righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. They can be comforted in the fact that God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. So we have this disadvantage over the wicked, so we need to use it. Prayer is a weapon that Christians a lot of times seem to be afraid to use. Don't be afraid to call down God's judgments upon the wicked. David did it all the time. All right, so that's Peter's instructions up to there. Anybody have any comments on anything? Okay, we're finished. No. Let's uh, need another handout here. You know, all of us know what the word persecution is, but I wonder if we really understand, uh, you know, where we in this this part of the country and in this country if we really understand persecution. Yeah. We're getting there. That's a good question. We're closer now than we were. It's started, but it's not unbearable like it is in other places. Yeah. We're not really meeting under the threat of harm or even death this morning. I mean, it's always possible, but it's not like, like we're over in the Middle East or... Africa or China, somewhere like that. We have a what you might call a low level of persecution. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. But if it does, Christians will need to follow this. This is the way we win. Okay, we're now going... Beginning in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So it appears that these persecutors are intending harm 
for God's people. However they try, they cannot harm the elect exiles in the ultimate sense. That's what he's talking about. Who's going to harm you? People can kill the body. They can't do anything to your soul. They can't truly harm you. You still have God. He is still your God, your Savior God. So in the end, if these Christians handle their mistreatment correctly, it'll only result in blessing. We may have temporary pain, but it's going to result in blessing. As we read in Psalm 37 just now, you are, whatever you do, as long as you handle things God's way, it's going to end up in blessing, and the wicked will be destroyed. So this is a good lesson for Christians at all times. Any persecution handled God's way will only lead to blessing. Now, if you don't handle it God's way, none of these promises apply to you. We need to learn, we need to forsake all of our wicked ways and all of our wicked thoughts. Listen to what God tells us and do what He says. It may not sound like that's what you really need to do, but God knows a little more than we do. In fact, God knows everything. Okay. Now, in your verse, in your notes here, with this Christian mindset prescribed here, a Christian attitude prescribed here, the Christian is now to do the following. All right. <clears throat> now, even if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, verse 14, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So this Christian mindset leads us not to fear what man can do to us. He's only man. He's under God's control. Um, so... Don't fear a man. Don't fear him who can kill only the body. Fear him who can kill the body and cast your soul into hell. All right, the second part is sanctify Christ as Lord in their hearts. It says, um, but in your hearts, that word honor translated in the ESV is not honor, it's sanctify. There's another word for honor. This should read, in your hearts, sanctify Christ or set him apart as holy. Sanctify Christ as holy in your heart. Um, so the bullet there says sanctify Christ as Lord in their heart. This Lordship is to be over every area of their lives, even your thinking. Our thinking is to be conformed to God's Word. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we are to let God transform our minds. Um, and the only way we do that is read the Bible and listen to wise teachers. We are supposed to have a mind where the mindset is Christ is Lord. He is Lord over everything. There's no neutral ground. Christ is Lord in everything even my thinking. 
Now, this is hard to do considering the amount of time we watch TV and read literature that's really not very edifying and <clears throat> mix up with people at school or at work. We hear all kinds of garbage. But we that's why we have to spend so much time reading God's Word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. Okay. Now, sanctify Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So this is telling us we have to have a well thought out and informative testimony and statement of faith. We need to know that already. If somebody attacks anything about the way we think, why we do what we do, why we say what we say, we are supposed to be ready to tell them very confidently because Christ is Lord. His word is authoritative. He created the world. He knows everything. His world is authoritative. These things are supposed to be settled in your mind and not an ad hoc um, work when somebody all of a sudden attacks your faith. You're supposed to be ready. This is not a suggestion. You should have a well-thought-out defense of your faith to be able to defend the hope that you have. All right. And then explain confidently the sure hope. Everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's some terrible translations in that little verse there, that little section of the verse. First of all, the word yet is a terrible translation. There's another Greek word for yet, eti. If he wanted the word, if he wanted translated as yet, the word would be eti, but it's not. The word is Allah, A-L-L-A, transliterated uh, is Alpha, Lambda, Lambda, Alpha. It means but. It is a very strong but. This is strong of a word for but as you can get in Greek. There's another word for weak but, but this is strong but. And so it should read, um, let's see, verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. By all means, do it. You don't have a choice. I know there's some of you in here that could run roughshod over any unbeliever, showing them the foolishness of their thinking very roughly. But that's not the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it with gentleness and the ESV says respect. That's another terrible translation. It doesn't mean respect. The word is phobos, fear. And that's not talking about fear of man. That's talking about fear of God. You are in the presence of God. You are defending the faith. 
here you have free evangelism. Somebody is attacking you, and your 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 uh, job is to evangelize that person, to defend your hope. So you do it with gentleness and fear. So be able to explain confidently your sure hope. And then present these things to unbelievers with gentleness and the fear of God. We just talked about that. And then keep a good conscience by having good behavior. Now, if you live like the devil, and all of a sudden you start trying to defend the faith, people are going to say, who who are you to defend the faith? You don't live that way. You live like I do. So we want to make sure if we defend the faith that we're blameless, that he, the unbeliever cannot point to us and something we do in our life and tell us, look, your testimony is no good. Look what you do. Although that's fallacious thinking. Um, they can do that. They'll do that. They're not going to give you any attention if you don't have a blameless life. If they can point to you. <clears throat> So if we have a good conscience by living a good life and we have a well thought out and informative testimony and statement of faith, we can defend the faith with confidence. We can do it meekly or gently. We don't have to be rough. We can do it gently out of the fear of God and confidence and um, to be able to defend it. Alright, at the end of verse 14, Peter tells them not to fear or be troubled. God is working out His perfect will for your life. This is going back to a few little things to remember. Remember the saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Y'all ever heard that? Hmm. Well, it's true if you're a Christian. And so we need to believe that. He's got a wonderful plan. I mean, this unbeliever is here attacking you for your good. And hopefully for his good. So remember, God is working out his wonderful plan in your life, even if you're being persecuted. Okay. And in your notes, Christ as Lord should be the presupposition for all of this. There's no neutral ground. Christ is Lord. You don't give in to that. You start out with that presupposition that Christ is Lord. You argue with that presupposition that Christ is Lord. And you finish up with that presupposition that Christ is Lord. Your thinking is derived totally from the Scriptures. That is your worldview, and that's the way you're going to talk. So the unbeliever or the persecutor should, if thinking correctly... And that's only going to happen if God opens up his heart. If thinking correctly, he'd be persuaded of the Christian's sure hope. Remember, we're to give the reason for the hope in the sentence. He is to be persuaded that the Christian does have a sure hope, and he needs to realize that in his unconverted state, he has no hope. And you haven't turned him off by being ugly. They're doing it with gentleness and fear. 
So, now, this is important. The Christian is to examine himself to make sure that he is being persecuted for the cause of Christ and not for his foolishness. So, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you're suffering for doing evil, you know, you're only getting what, what's coming to you. But, um, and Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, this last beatitude, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says, falsely on my account. Make sure it's on the account of Jesus Christ. If you're persecuted for you being a fool, there's nothing to be good about, uh, happy about in that. But you are a happy person if you are persecuted for the sake of Christ. All right, that ends my presentation on this wonderful section of Scripture. Anybody have anything to add to it? Yeah, I think it's no accident that it discussion of being able to answer uh, somebody's questions with our hope, our sure hope, comes on the heels of treating others that persecute us with kindness, meekness, graciousness, whatever the situation occurs, because we're told elsewhere in Scripture that that kind of treating of people will prick their hearts. They really expect you to be mad and ugly at them. But if you turn around and do kindness, sooner or later, either to you or somebody else that's a Christian, they're going to say, why are you guys this way? You're different. And that gives us the opportunity. Right. And I've been on the other side where I wasn't a Christian. I'd be really ugly to them. It'd be nice to me, and that, that does. I said, like Kim says, it pricks your heart. And the bottom line is, seems to be in First Peter, that your life is so good and pleasant, you don't have to go out telling people about Jesus. They'll come to you and ask you what's different. And Peter says when they do that, you be ready. Okay, anything else? Okay, Mike, I'll ask you to close us in prayer today. Our Father in heaven, we 